Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Innal hamdalillah nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nastaghfiruh wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa sayyiati a'malina man yahdihillahu fala mudilla lahu wa man yudlil fala hadiya lahu wa ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lahu wa ashhadu anna muhammadan 'abduhu wa rasuluhu amma ba'd so in this topic that we've been covering we've been looking at the sunnah and how it was preserved from the early times from the time of the prophet muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the time of the sahaba radiyallahu anhum the companions and thereafter during the time of the salaf onwards one of the points we were looking at last time was this doubt that some of those who attack the sunnah bring a doubt whereby they say that the sunnah wasn't actually written down for maybe a hundred years after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. It wasn't written down or recorded properly for maybe a hundred years or more after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, as they claim. And they claim that in order to cast doubt upon the validity and authenticity of the sunnah. Because if they can create this doubt in the minds of the people that these hadith weren't even written down for a hundred years or more, people were just narrating them by mouth until finally a hundred years later they were written down. Who knows how accurate they were by then when they got written down. That's what they want to try and prove. So we've been looking at this topic from the very beginning. We began looking at it last week in terms of this issue of whether they actually used to write down hadith or not. And we mentioned that there was... There are some narrations that indicate that they didn't like writing down hadith. But that there are narrations also clearly stating that they did used to write down hadith, the companions that is. And that the Prophet ﷺ himself told them on occasion, bring me a book and I will write for you, that he would dictate and they would write so that is what we were looking at. One of the evidences that we came across was the statement of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu in which it indicated that they did used to write down hadith at the time of the companions. And that was the narration where he said, مَا مِنَ الصَّحَابَ أَحَدٌ أَكْثَرَ حَدِيثًا مِنِّي that there is none of them from the companions who have gotten more hadith than me. إِلَّا مَا كَانَ مِنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ ibn Amr, Except for what Abdullah ibn Amr has got. فَإِنَّهُ يَكْتُبْ وَأَنَا لَا أَكْتُبْ Because he writes it down and I don't write it down. So he affirmed that writing of hadith was happening at that time. He affirmed that Abdullah ibn Amr was writing the narrations at that time. 
So that is one evidence affirming that writing was occurring at that time. In another narration of Ibn Abbas, he said that, أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ قَالَ فِي مَرَضِهِ that the Prophet ﷺ said in his illness, when he was in his final illness, اعتوني بكتاب اكتب لكم كتابا لا تضلوا بعده. He said to them, bring me a book and I will write for you. Write the details of the hadith etc. in there for you. And in that book then, after that you will not go astray. That is the Prophet ﷺ telling them, bring a book and we'll write. So this is again a clear affirmation of writing of hadith occurring and being recognized and approved at the time of the Prophet ﷺ and the companions. There's another narration of Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As. He said, كُنْتُ أَكْتُبُ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ أَسْمَعُهُ مِنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ He said, I used to write down everything I heard from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. I used to write down everything I heard from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. And then he mentioned, فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ That the messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم then said to him, اُكْتُبْ فَوَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ مَا خَرَجَ مِنِّي إِلَّا حَقِّ The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said to him, write, carry on writing everything, because nothing comes from me except that it is the Truth, because Abdullah ibn Amr, some of the the uh, kuffar were mocking him and saying, "You write down everything from that man, the messenger." So when the Prophet ﷺ found out, he said, "Yes, write it, because everything from me it is the truth." So again, that is a clear narration affirming the fact. That writing was known and understood, recognized and even approved at the time of the Prophet wasallam and the companions. As we said though, some of those narrations may have some question over their authenticity, but some of them are certainly uh, acceptable narrations. Then also now, we have a chapter... باب ذكر من روي عنه من الصحابة رضي الله عنهم أنه كتب العلم أو أمر بكتابته Narrations from the companions whereby they used to write down the knowledge or that they used to tell the people to write it down Narrations where the companions used to write the knowledge or they used to tell the people to write the knowledge. And under this chapter then, one of the narrations mentioned is that of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri. 
radiyallahu anhu, one of the companions, Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu anhu, he says, ما كنا نكتب شيئا غير القرآن والتشهد. He said, we never used to write anything except the Qur'an and the Tashahud. The Tashahud. The Qur'an and the Tashahud. حيث قال وأبو سعيد الخضري هو الذي روي عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لا تكتبوا عني سوى القرآن ومن كتب عني غير القرآن فليمحو. In that one, Abu Sa'id narrated that the Prophet said, Don't write anything from me except the Qur'an. And anybody who has written other than the Qur'an, get rid of it. So remember we said there were some narrations indicating the lack of writing, some of them indicating the approval of writing. Here it indicates that they wrote the Qur'an, and that they also wrote down the tashahud, that the Prophet ﷺ taught them, but that they didn't write anything else according to this narration. That the Prophet ﷺ told them, other than the Qur'an, anything else, get rid of it. Only the Qur'an write it down. That's what this narration indicates. ثُمَّ هُوَ يُخْبِرُ أَنَّهُمْ كَانُوا يَكْتُبُونَ الْقُرْآنُ وَالتَّشَهُدُ وَفِي ذَلِكَ دَلِيلٌ أن النهي عن كتب ما سوى القرآن إنما كان على الوجه الذي بيناه. But the point is that he says the Prophet ﷺ told us anything besides the Quran, no. But despite that, he says we used to write down the part of the prayer that they had learned from the Prophet, the tashahud. The tashahud is obviously other than the Quran, and they were writing it down. So there is an indication that this prohibition had some leeway in it. The prohibition obviously had some leeway in it. Because they were writing other than the Qur'an at the end of the day. The tashahud is other than the Qur'an. مِنْ أَنْ يُضَاهَ بِكِتَابِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى غَيْرَهُ وَأَنْ يَشْتَغِلَ عَنِ الْقُرْآنِ بِسِوَاهُ فَلَمَّا أُمِنَ ذَلِكَ وَدَعَتِ الْحَاجَةُ إِلَى كَتْبِ الْعِلْمِ لَمْ يكره The reason why that prohibition was in place originally, we mentioned it last time briefly, one of the main reasons was because they didn't want in those early stages for any confusion to occur between Qur'an and Sunnah. So they were told the Qur'an, write it all down, write it all down the Qur'an, but don't write hadith. Just in case any confusion occurs anywhere and hadith starts going into it, people thinking that was part of the Qur'an, when actually that was a narration, especially when you get things like hadith Qudsi, which are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying those narrations. So there was some issue there, some confusion maybe could have occurred. And so one of the reasons initially why it was prohibited was to ensure there would be no confusion. Quran was written down. Any written pieces were by default just the Quran. So there wouldn't be confusion. That was one of the things mentioned. Also, 
In the early days, one of the points was they did not want anybody to become preoccupied with anything other than the Qur'an as the primary source. They wanted the memorization of the Qur'an, the, the, the knowledge, the understanding, the tafsir, they wanted that fixed. And they didn't want anybody to become preoccupied with other things preoccupied from the Qur'an. That people start writing down hadith and, and writing down the, the narrations, etc. And as a consequence, they start to become negligent maybe of the Qur'an. They didn't want that door to be opened potentially either. So there were some reasons why initially they, the narrations exist stating the prohibition on writing the Qur'an. But after those potential issues were no longer potential issues anymore, there was no risk of confusion between the Qur'an and the Sunnah. It was established, well known, memorized, etc., written down. At the time of Abu Bakr, he had the whole Qur'an written down in his house, he had the whole copy. So there was no confusion anymore, that possibility and that potential didn't really exist. Being preoccupied with the sunnah instead of the Qur'an, that didn't really exist. Those types of things, those potential issues that may have been uh, present in the early days, at a later stage they dwindled away and they weren't really potential issues anymore. As a consequence now, if those potential issues were no longer really there, then there was no reason to not write down hadith. There wasn't really anything preventing them or stopping them from writing down hadith. Then there was no confusion with the Qur'an, there was no preoccupation from the Qur'an, there was no reason to not write down the hadith then. And so, when that need arose... To write down hadith, they wrote down hadith. كَمَا لَمْ تَكْرَحْ صَحَابَ كَتْبَ التَّشَهُدُ وَلَا فَرْقَ بَيْنَ التَّشَهُدُ وَبَيْنَ غَيْرِهِمْ مِنَ الْعِلُوْمِ فِي أَنَّ الْجَمِيعُ لَيْسَ بِقُرْآنِ And that is proven by the fact that the companions wrote down other than the Qur'an from those early stages, the tashahud. Tashahud is not Qur'an. It is other than the Qur'an. And they wrote it down. So they were writing other than the Qur'an, it proves. And it shows therefore they didn't have an issue in writing that down. Or other aspects of knowledge which were all other than the Qur'an. I.e. the Sunnah. وَلَنْ يَكُونَ كُتُبِ الصَّحَابَ مَا كَتَبُوهُ مِنَ الْعِلْمُ وَأَمَرُوا بِكَتْبِهِ إِلَّا احْتِيَاطًا كَمَا كَانَ كِرَاهَتُهُمْ لِكَتْبِهِ احْتِيَاطًا when the companions did start writing down that knowledge, writing down that hadith, they did so as a precaution, so that this knowledge of hadith and sunnah would not become lost or forgotten, that it wouldn't become lost or forgotten. So as a precaution, they began writing it all down. Initially, they weren't writing initially as a precaution from confusion between it and the Qur'an, those are the precautions at that time. Now it had changed. The precaution that was now needed was, 
that the sunnah had to be preserved, it couldn't become lost or forgotten, and there was no issue from those potential issues anymore, so they used to write. The companions did used to write down that sunnah. There are also narrations from the tabi'een, the next generation, which highlights this even more, that they used to write, they used to write. So it is mentioned that during the time of the tabi'een, that writing and the concept of writing, it became a lot more expansive. There was a lot more writing going on now, a lot more of that recording going on now. Uh, and they had a lot more reliance and dependence on those books and on those writings at the time of the tabi'een. Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi, he mentioned, إِنَّمَا اتَّصَعَ النَّاسُ فِي كَتْبِ الْعِلْمِ وَعَوَّلُوا عَلَى تَدْوِينِهِ فِي الصُّحُفِ بَعْدَ الْكِرَاهَةِ لِذَلِكَ لِأَنَّ الْرِوَايَاتِ انْتَشَرَتْ وَالْمَسَانِيدِ قَالَتْ That initially, obviously, they had those potential points, and because of them they didn't write, but then they began writing, and it began to become more and more expanded, the boundaries of this concept of writing. And that's because the later the time goes on, the longer those chains of narration become to those hadith. At the time of the Sahaba, it was like the companion straight to the Prophet ﷺ, or maybe a companion who narrated it from a companion straight to the Prophet ﷺ. Very short companion, maybe another companion, that's it. But now when you go on to the tabi'een and the atba' tabi'een, now all of a sudden it's from one of them to another, to another, to the Prophet. Maybe even another and another and another to the Prophet. Now suddenly those chains are becoming longer to that same hadith. And for verification purposes, you need to know that your chain is intact. You can't now come along a hundred years later and say, Umar ibn al-Khattab narrated from the Prophet where have you narrated that from Umar ibn al-Khattab? You never met him. How do you know Umar ibn al-Khattab narrated that? You need to have your chain of narration. So now as time went by, they had to make sure they preserved those chains of narration. And now, with them becoming longer and longer, and imagine how many of those chains of narration there are, there became a greater need to record them, to write them down as well. Even though we know some of the imams of that time used to memorize all of these chains. Hundreds of thousands of them. But despite that, of course, with them being so many, they used to write them down. So they began writing down more and more. As knowledge spread more and more, the chains of narration became longer. They became more spread out. You narrate from a man who's in another country somewhere. He narrates from a man in another country somewhere. Who narrates from the companion, who narrates from the Prophet ﷺ. Knowledge was spreading everywhere as well. So for these reasons now, during the time of the Tabi'een, there was a lot more writing going on now. Everything being written down and recorded. And as well as that, because they needed to make sure they kept their records intact of who all the narrators were to. Because for the validity of the chain of narration to be known you need to know that all of the narrators are reliable and they had integrity. 
So now they kept records as well of those chains and of those men. And books of biographies eventually started getting written. And we're going to get to that later on. They eventually wrote full books, biographies of those people in the chains of narration. Now those books are available. Some of them 30 volumes big, 25 volumes, 30 volumes, just biographies. Biographies of the narrators of hadith. So you go to uh, um, uh, Sunan ibn Majah, pick a hadith in there. All that chain of narration from this man who narrated from that man, from that, from that, from that, from this companion to the Prophet. That full chain of narration, all of those men in there, you can go to these books of biographies, 30 volumes, 40 volumes big. First person, such and such, his name, go into the index, find his name, find his biography. You can work out and read exactly who he was. He narrates from a person called such and such, find his name in the index, volume 12, volume 26, wherever it is, and his biography is all there. Any hadith like that. There is in fact a book which has done that, biographies of all of the narrators from the six books. Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawud, Ibn Majah, Tirmidhi, Nasa'i. So you pick up those books now, anywhere randomly a hadith, that chain of narration, everybody in there, you'll find their biographies in those books. So they began to write down this knowledge, write down the narrators and who they are, because that was the means of verification that these chains are accurate and those ahadith are accurate. And so when you think about that, it's not something simple. Because identification, that's a point too. How many narrators do you think that were called Muhammad and Abdullah and Khalid? Khalid, the son of Muhammad. There could be 10 of them called Khalid and their father was called Muhammad. Could be 20 of them. So there were many narrators, so many, and they had similar names. So these books now were identifying who they are. Because you might have one, for example, called Khalid, the son of Abdullah. Trustworthy, reliable narrator. But there's another one, Khalid ibn Abdullah, who's a liar. Now you come across a chain of narration, you need to be able to work out which Khalid ibn Abdullah this one is in this chain of narration. How are you going to do that? They used to have records of their lineage. Khalid, the son of Abdullah, the son of Ali, the son of uh, Umar. But this one, the liar, he was Khalid ibn Abdullah ibn Ali ibn Usama. So they had lineages. You could identify which narrator is which. So with all of that now, you can see why there was a need to start writing things down in records for these narrators and chains. So it became a lot more. The knowledge became a lot more. Now it wasn't just a case of the Sahabi and the Hadith and memorize it. Now it's maybe three or four narrators and their lineages and who they were. And are they reliable? Are they not? Before you even get to the Hadith. So, because of that, they started to write down that knowledge. So now, because of that, that knowledge was now recorded, and it was solid, it was fixed, firm, written down. 
this hadith, that hadith, change of narration, who they are, those people, their biographies, everything was there, properly recorded and written. And like we said before, the Prophet ﷺ had approved or allowed the writing of hadith. There were other narrations that we came across, if you recall last time. Uh, one of the reasons why it was allowed for them as well, was if their memory was weak. If they had a weaker memory, then they would write down those narrations. And sometimes, in fact, some of the Sahaba from the Salaf, they used to write down hadith until they were sure they had memorized it properly, then they would get rid of it. Some of them used to do that. But others, of course, as we know, kept all of their writings, kept all of their hadith. And later on, when we get to the biographies of Imam al-Bukhari, you see how they used to test Imam al-Bukhari. They used to get the hadith which were written down, all of the chains of narration written down, everything, and they would test Imam al-Bukhari. Such and such a hadith, who was it narrated by? And Imam al-Bukhari would give all of the chain of narration from the top of his head. And there's one story, we'll come to it later on in the biography of Imam al-Bukhari, that they sat down and they narrated some hadith to him, ten hadith. And they mixed up all of the chains of narration of those ten hadith. And Imam al-Bukhari, when he heard that, he said, the first hadith that you narrated, the chain was wrong. The chain is actually X, Y, and Z. The second hadith, that chain is actually X, Y, and Z. And he fixed up all of the ten hadith from memory. They had purposely mixed it up to give it to him like that as a test. So, they used to write down those things in detail. فَقَدْ اِكْتَفَيْتْ نَعْمْ وَاِكْتَفَيْتْ فِي هَذِي الْفَقْرَةِ بِالْاِقْتِصَارِ عَلَى تَحْلِيلْ مَا وَرَدَ فِي الْاقْسَامِ الثَّلَاثَةَ الْأُولَى مِنْ كِتَابِ تَقِيدِ الْعِلْمِ الْحَافَظَ بِبَكْرَ الْخَطِيبِ مُسْتَفِيدًا مِمَّا كَتَبَهُ الْأُسْتَاذِ نعم, so he mentions about the book of Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi and then he says, this book, أَنَّ هَذَا الْكِتَابِ أَقْدَمْ وَأَوْسَعُ وَأَشْمَلْ مؤلفه إلى جمع مثله ولم أقف على كتاب مثله لمن جاء بعده إلا أن معاصره الحافظ بن عبد البر حاول نفس المحاولة في جامع بيان العلم لكن لم يكن بساعة كتاب الخطيب وشموله فضلا عن نفوق كتاب الخطيب على كتابه في جودة الترتيب وحسن التنسيق The best book then he says here the best book and I forgot to bring it in today, but inshallah, if I recall next week, the book of Al-Khatib Al-Baghdadi, Taqiyid Al-Ilm. That book of Al-Khatib Al-Baghdadi, one of the scholars of the past, is one of the most comprehensive books that looks at this topic of how hadith was originally written down, narrations that show it was allowed and they accepted it and they used to write it, etc. to disprove the claim of those who claim that knowledge was never written down for hundreds of years and it was only much later when they wrote the hadith down. Rather, it was written at the early times, it was recorded, it was learnt, and it was preserved. The conclusions that Al-Khatib Al-Baghdadi came to, 
the conclusions that he came to. Firstly, أَنَّهُ لَمْ يَصِحَّ حَدِيثٌ فِي النَّهِي عَنْ كِتَابَةِ الْحَدِيثِ سِوَى حَدِيثِ أَبِي سَعِيدٍ الْخُدْرِ الَّذِي رَوَاهُ مُسْلِمْ مع اختلاف بين البخاري ومسلم في رفعه واقفه One of the conclusions that Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi came to, this is the conclusion to last lecture and the opening of this one so far. The conclusion to it all. Point number one. Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi concluded that there is not a single authentic narration prohibiting writing down the sunnah. Except the narration of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri that we just read. That is the only one he concludes is an authentic narration. All the other narrations that say you can't write down hadith, none of them are authentic. And even this one of Abu Sa'id and Al-Khudri, there's a difference between Al-Imam Al-Bukhari and Imam Muslim as to whether it was a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ saying that prohibition or it was the statement of the companion himself saying that this is prohibited. Was it Abu Sa'id himself saying that prohibited etc. or was it the statement of the Prophet ﷺ even that's differed over. But that is the conclusion on that point. It is the only authentic narration speaking about prohibition of writing. All the others, not authentic. Second conclusion, that أَنَّ الْأَمَرِ اسْتَقَرَّ فِي حَيَاتِهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم عَلَىٰ إِبَاحَةِ الْكِتَابَةِ وَقَدْ قَدَّمَ الْمُؤَلِّفُ عِدَّةَ أَدِلَّةَ عَلَىٰ ذَلِكَ بَلْ ذَكَرَ أَدِلَّةَ مِنَ الْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةَ عَلَىٰ الْحَثِّ عَلَىٰ الْكِتَابَةِ The second conclusion, that despite there being those potential issues that we talked about, confusion between the Qur'an, etc., maybe uh, being uh, distracted away from the Qur'an, maybe some potential issues existed. However, the conclusion that Al-Khatib came to in the end was that the Sahaba at the end all settled upon the fact that yes, you can write. Despite those potential points initially, they all in the end settled upon the fact that you can write. Write the sunnah, write the hadith. Al-Khatib from all of his analysis of everything and narrations came to that conclusion. The companions settled upon the point of writing the narrations. Thirdly, writing down the sunnah, writing down hadith, therefore began at the time of when? The Prophet ﷺ himself. Hadith was being written down from the time of the Prophet ﷺ when he was still alive. That is the third conclusion Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi has mentioned. The fourth conclusion is linked to what we mentioned before, is that the narrations or the point that was mentioned from the companions about not writing was only because of those potential issues. One of them being that people may become preoccupied 
with sunnah and all these hadith and the chains and, and they may become preoccupied from the Qur'an and may start to neglect the Qur'an. That was a potential that they feared at the time. And also, one of the things that they potentially feared at the time was that the people may become weak in memorization. And this is the salaf we're talking about, the sahaba, memorization of everything. They didn't want people to become lazy in memorization. Write it down and that's it, you don't have to memorize anything. They feared that as a potential pitfall. That maybe if we write everything down, people aren't going to memorize anymore. So they feared a potential drop in the levels of memorization if they started writing everything down. That was one of their potential issues initially. And that's why we said some of them used to write, but when they knew they'd properly memorized it, they would get rid of it. Because if they had properly memorized it and they still kept it, then there wouldn't be that same motivation to make sure you maintain and practice and revise that memorization when you know it's written down there, you can go back to it anytime you want. So that was another potential issue at the time. These were their potential reasons as to why they didn't like writing initially. But as Al-Khatib said, in the end they all agreed, yes, write the narrations. وَقَبْلَ أَنَعْمْ That brings us to the conclusion of that section regarding writing down the sunnah. Writing down the sunnah. These four conclusions are the main conclusions of Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi on that point. Number one, that there are no authentic narrations stating that it was impermissible to write down the sunnah. Except the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, and even that one is different as to whether it was the statement of the Prophet ﷺ or the statement of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri himself. Second conclusion, that even though there may have been some potential issues, in the end, all of the companions were agreed upon writing the agreement of the companions during the time of the Prophet ﷺ, this is even. During the time of the Prophet ﷺ, it was settled upon the fact that you can write. During the time of the Prophet ﷺ. And the third conclusion, therefore, linked to that, is that writing down of the sunnah began at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. They were writing hadith from then. And the fourth point was just to highlight some of the reasons as to why they didn't like writing initially. Confusion between the Qur'an and the Sunnah, people becoming preoccupied with the Sunnah, leaving the Qur'an, or people becoming lazier in their memorization if they wrote down all of the Sunnah and didn't uh, focus on memorizing. There were some of the potential reasons, but then after that they settled uh, upon writing even during the time of the Prophet ﷺ. So that makes that point clear. The doubt that people bring the doubt some of those who oppose this religion bring, they say, this sunnah of yours, Bukhari, Muslim, all these books, when did they live? When did Bukhari, Muslim, Ibn Majah, Abu Daud, when, when, when did they live? 100 years, 200 years after the Prophet ﷺ. You're relying upon those hadith they wrote down in their books 100 years, 200 years after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. How do you know they're properly accurate? 
We tell them from the conclusions of this analysis now, they were the first ones to write hadith down. Hadith was being written down from the time of the Prophet ﷺ. And then it became more and more and it expanded until you got to the time of the Salaf where they were writing full on proper books with chapters and everything. At the beginning it wouldn't have been like that. It wouldn't have been chapters and proper organization. But hadith were being written down. Just like the Quran initially wasn't written as a full in order as a book, as a mushaf. It was written in papers and parchments. And then eventually it was gathered and compiled together. In the early days, sunnah would have been written like that. But then later on, when more and more writings occurred, then eventually it came together into proper book form and chapters, etc. So that has been written down and compiled and preserved from the time of the Prophet ﷺ. There was no gap. There wasn't a gap when nobody had written anything down up until the time of Imam al-Zuhri. It was being written before that. So that doubt is not something which can be utilized. The next section here then we'll touch upon and just begin briefly today. The next chapter here is now the chapter that explains how the companions used to strive to preserve this sunnah and to write down and compile this sunnah. What did the companions exactly do? We touched upon it briefly before, but this will now go into more detail of exactly the kinds of things they used to do in the name of compilation and preservation of the sunnah, maintaining that sunnah. لَقَدْ كَانَتْ جُهُودْ هَذَا الْجِيلَ الْمُبَارَكْ هِيَ الْأَسَاسُ الْأَوَّلِ فِي تَدْوِينِ السُنَّةِ وَحِفْظِهَا وَنَقْلِهَا إِلَى الْأُمَّةِ The striving of the companions, that was the first step in the preservation of the sunnah. They laid the foundations for that preservation of the sunnah and maintenance of the sunnah to continue. And for the the transfer and the, the passing on of that sunnah through generations thereafter, so their striving was the foundation of the spreading of this aqidah and this knowledge and these narrations, the striving of the Sahaba initially. وَفِيمَا يَلِي نَمَاذِجْ مِنْ تِلْكَ الْجُهُودِ وَأَكْتَفِي بِالنَّمَاذِجْ هُنَا مُشِيرًا إِلَى الْمَصَادِرِ الَّتِي اسْتَوْعَبَتْ أَوْ حَاوَلَتَ الْإِسْتِعَابِ وَذَلِكَ لِأَنَّ الْمَقَامُ هُنَا لَا يَتَّسِعْ لِأَكْثَرْ مِنْ هَذِهِ النَّمَاذِجْ so now what's going to come basically are some examples of some of the striving of the Sahaba. Some of the things that they used to do to maintain and preserve this sunnah. Firstly, the first bullet point of what they used to do. الْحَثُّ عَلَى حِفْظِ الْحَدِيثِ وَتَثْبِيتِ ذَلِكَ The focus they had, the encouragement, the the, the focal point was on memorization. That is obviously a key behind preservation of the sunnah, to have it memorized properly. It's one thing writing things down, excellent. But on top of that, to make sure people are memorizing accurately and properly. So that all of those companions, the tabi'een thereafter, etc., their memorization was on point. It was properly, firmly memorized. 
حتى كان كثير منهم يأمر تلاميذه بالكتاب لتثبيت حفظهم ثم محوا ما كتبوه حتى لا يتكل على الكتاب حتى لا يتكل على الكتاب Some of the companions, they even used to tell their students to write down the narrations. They used to tell their students, write it down. So that they would have that reference point to double check their memorization in future and to make their memorization strong. Even if they were told afterwards, get rid of it. Upon that potential earlier issue, they didn't want them to depend on the write, uh, writings. They didn't want them to depend on the written narrations. But initially, companions would tell their students, write it down, so that their students could go and double-check and properly memorize. Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi mentioned, وَكَانَ غَيْرُ وَاحِدٍ مِنَ السَّلَفِ يَسْتَعِينُ عَلَى حِفْظِ الْحَدِيثِ بِأَنْ يَكْتُبَ Many of the Salaf, not just one or two, several, many of the Salaf, they used to rely upon their written versions to help them to solidify their memorization. وَيَدْرُسُهُ مِنْ كِتَابِ And so they used to study it and revise it from their written books. فَإِذَا أَتْقَنَهُ مَحَ الْكِتَابِ When they had properly memorized it, then they would rub out that writing and get rid of that writing. خَوْفًا مِنَ يَتَّكِلَ الْقَلْبِ عَلَيْهِ فَيَدِّي إِلَى نُقْصَانِ الْحِفْظِ وَتَرْكِ الْعِنَايَةِ بِالْمَحْفُوظِ Because they feared that they wouldn't be able to fully uh, focus and, and, and make their memorization strong If they knew in the back of their heads In the back of their minds We've always got the book written down there anyway So they feared Their hearts would become dependent on The written ahadith So once they properly memorized They would erase and get rid of those narrations uh, From the writing But initially they would write For the purpose of strengthening their memory So that is one point a key point during the time of the Sahaba, they had an absolute focus on memorization. As Shaykh al-Ithameen even said now, to get to the highest level of knowledge, it's not just about understanding. A person may say, well, as long as I understand everything properly, surely that's better than somebody who just memorizes it and doesn't get it. Fair enough. But what about somebody who memorizes it all and understands it all? That's the highest level. As Shaykh al-Athameen said, the highest level is the one who memorizes it all and has understood it all. That beats the person who says, well, I understand it all, even if I haven't memorized it. That's better than somebody memorizing it and not getting it. Fair enough. But then you're not going to be above the person who understands it all just like you, but on top of you has memorized it all too. That's the strongest level of knowledge. To memorize and to understand. Because in the long run, this is something evidenced and proven. In the long run, imagine now this book, somebody is listening carefully, going through these lessons, lectures, understands every lecture carefully, properly understands those four conclusions, remembers, understands properly. Understands the full book, but doesn't memorize doesn't actually sit there to memorize those four conclusions of Al-Khatib or to memorize these bullets, points we're going through. It doesn't memorize anything. Understands it carefully as we're going through it. So at the end of this lecture now, that person could explain everything we talked about. In 30 years from now, that person will not be able to explain this book anymore. 10 years from now, 5 years from now, you won't. 
But a person who memorized it all and understood it in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, if he's forgotten this book, if you say to him, the four conclusions that Imam al-Khatib made, though, what were they? And he memorized them. So he'll remember what the four conclusions were, and as a consequence of that, the explanation will come back to him. When you've memorized the bullet points, you've memorized the key points, then 30 years from now, as long as you've got your memorization of those points, then the explanation comes back to you regarding them. But if you never memorized the points in the first place, and you've forgotten the explanation, then from where are you going to try and bring back the explanation? That's why the scholars, they say, memorize the mutun. Memorize these small books, Kitab al-Tawheed al-Qawaid al-Arba'as, uh, Three Fundamental Principles, etc. Memorize them. Because even if you forget something, when you go back to your memorization of the text, you think back to that line, and then it, it, it sparks something in you. You remember the explanation of what that line was. Because you've memorized that line. Somebody who's not memorized it 30 years from now, they got nothing left to go back to. No memorization of the text, forgotten the explanation, it's all gone. But at least if you memorize the text, even if you forget the full book and the explanation, later on in life, if you have that text there, and you go back to your memorization on that text, it will bring back memory of the explanation and what it was about. It will bring back points. So at the time of the Sahaba, one of the key things they focused on was memorization. To make sure everybody was properly, strongly memorizing what they were learning. The second point, and we'll just mention this and conclude upon it. The second point was regarding uh, writing down the sunnah and they used to write to each other. They used to write down the sunnah to each other. So it's mentioned as an example of that, meaning that they used to basically send letters to each other. They used to write down the sunnah and send it to each other, correspondences. There's an example, Kataba Jabir ibn Samurah, radiyallahu anhu ba'ad ahadith al-rasul, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa ba'atha biha ila Amir ibn Sa'id ibn Abi Waqqas, bina'an ala talabihi thalika min. In Sahih Muslim, it mentions how Jabir ibn Samurah wrote down some ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ and sent them to Amr ibn Sa'id ibn Abi Waqqas because Amr ibn Sa'id had requested that from him. Had requested that he writes down certain narrations and sends them. He'd written them all down for him and he sent that document with those narrations in there to him. So they used to do that, and that obviously meant now you've got those sections of the narrations preserved in written form. Another example, Kataba Zayd ibn Arqam radiyallahu anhu ba'adala hadith in Nabawiyya wa arsala biha ila Anas ibn Malik. In the Musnad of Alimam Ahmad, it mentions how Zayd ibn Arqam wrote down some hadith into the document and sent them to Anas ibn Malik. So another document there with more narrations, more of the sunnah preserved in it. And like that, there are other narrations. Zayd ibn Thabit, he wrote, uh, Fi Amr al-Jad ila Amr ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu wa thalika binaan ala talabi Amr nafsah. Zayd ibn Thabit wrote down a hadith that Amr ibn al-Khattab requested from him. 
because Umar ibn al-Khattab didn't have that hadith. So Zayd ibn Thabit wrote down this narration and sent it in written form to Umar ibn al-Khattab. So there are examples like this of how the Sahaba used to write down the Sunnah in documents and send it to other companions who were requesting it, etc. Clearly therefore a proof that at the time of the Sahaba, the Sunnah was being written down, written down in these correspondences they were sending to each other. That is where we'll round off on today. We'll move on to point number three of what the Sahaba did at their time, which was the foundation of the preservation and compilation of the Sunnah. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين